go, yes, we roll. Taste 360 degrees. High, high, 360 degrees. High, high, 306. 306. 360 degrees. High, high. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Full Circle. In honor of Women's History Month, we celebrate the lives of some amazing women on tonight's show. We'll hear voices of women hitting the streets in protest of Donald Trump and his policies. We'll also hear the voices of courageous women such as Grace Lee Boggs and Barbara Lee. We'll learn about Rock, the Restaurant Opportunity Center in the Bay Area, and their fight for sustainable living wages for restaurant workers. We'll also hear some great music from women artists. All that and more tonight on Full Circle. We're your hosts. I'm Teresa Adams. And I'm Audio Desperado Ephraim Colbert. Stay with us. Good evening, everyone, and welcome again to Full Circle, your cultural affairs radio magazine produced by members of the First Voice Apprenticeship Program. First, we want to, th- to thank all the supporters and listeners out there that have helped us during the fun drive season. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. The latest numbers we have are $590,000 of our $650,000 goal. And we still have the Grateful Dead Marathon coming tomorrow morning starting at 9 a.m. and running till 9 p.m. Be sure to let our deadhead friends that you know know about this. Lots of rare deadhead tracks and I'm sure an opportunity to get yourself some great music from your own collection. We also wanted to let you know that if you didn't get a chance to donate, it's not too late. You can still give us a click at kpfa.org or give us a call at 1-800-HEY-KPFA. That's 1-800-439-5732. Again, this is community-powered radio. So anything you can give us helps a lot. We'll find nice things on our website, such as KPFA hoodies. Get yourself one today. And happy Women's History Month, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. This celebration of women dates back to the first International Women's Day in 1911. Wow. I know. Many years later, the Sonoma School District participated in Women's History Week for the first time in 1978. And then in 1979, the Sarah Lawrence College held a 15-day conference on women's history. Because of those efforts from those women, including Gerda Lerner, who also chaired that conference, in 1980, President Carter issued a presidential proclamation declaring the week of March 2nd through March 8th Women's History Week. There are so many great stories about women, the work they've done, the lives they've changed, including their own. That's right, Teresa. And tonight we share snippets from newcomers and legends. We want to start with the voices of women who have been hitting the streets since the inauguration of Donald Trump. This past Wednesday, I had the opportunity to join our the women of Berkeley at a protest located in UC Berkeley campus 
So we're going to go ahead and take a listen to these sounds right now. KPFA is Ephraim Audio Desperado, and I'm here with... Hi, I'm Zoe Walker. Zoe, you just gave a really moving speech. You talked about uh, several issues. What gives you hope from being out here today? Oh my gosh, one, seeing how many people were there when I was reading about it because I was never able to march myself. I was told it's probably going to be a whole bunch of cisgender white people um, exercising their privilege. But seeing all of these people support so many different kinds of people helps me. It helps me so much every day, every morning. And seeing this really instills that in a time where there's not very much hope. I think that's most times, but yeah. Thank you so much for speaking with us. Thank you. KPFA Radio, we are here today. May I have your first and last name? Uh, Catherine Linfro. And Catherine, what impact do you think today will have on the political climate? I don't know. I hope resistance is still active. It's not, you know, dying. I think that's very important. It's going to keep building and building with this, this situation that happened on November 9th and all the things that he's implemented. You know, it's not, we, nobody's just going to sit down and say, hey, we're going to take this. It's going to be resistance. It may not be the big million, you know, marches all the time, but it's going to be resistance. And I think that's important. Thank you so much for your time. Okay, thank you. Genevieve Proto. Genevieve, you just gave a really uh, moving uh, speech a second ago. What brings you hope today? Oh my God, seeing all these beautiful people here today, you know, men and women alike, all people coming together, knowing that it's going to collectively take all on us to fight the tyranny that we see around the world and especially in our country. So I'm proud to be here. I'm proud of all these ladies and you as well for being here. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. At KPFA Radio, I'm here with... Michelina Johnson. I'm a senior here at Cal. And what brings you out today? Um, I just think that everything this movement represents, not just women's rights, but undocumented immigrant rights, uh, people of color and their rights among several other groups, trans, gay, I think that these movements need more of a voice, and that's why I'm here to support that. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, thank you. Welcome back to Pacifica Radio, KPFA 94.1. You just heard from the voices of women, heard the voices of women at the International Women's Day March in Oakland. And that was our very own Audio Desperado. Yes, it was. That was really great um, hearing them and seeing how, hearing how surprised they were at the different people who came out to the march. So that's always nice to know that people are taking a position, taking a stand. And speaking of taking a stand, there have been several protests since the conclusion of the 2016 presidential campaign, including the now historic Women's March on January 21st, the first day of President Trump's administration. And graduate apprentice Sarah Blanco. Hey, Sarah. Sarah. She spent some time with a group of ladies at the march. And here is what they had to say. I'm an Okay. 
Walnut Creek for the Women's March. And the first person that I'm speaking with today is holding a sign that really addresses a lot of uh, hot button issues. It says, let's stand together to say no to the reversal of women's and LGBTQ rights. Could you read the rest to me? Say no to racist, anti-Semitic, white supremacist groups, attacks on immigrants, hate crimes on the Muslim registry, U.S. wars and sanctions, environmental destruction. What makes you feel the best about being here today? The big turnout, especially in a conservative area like this. I'm out here for all the people I love to be treated equally and respected. Um, my husband's a first-generation American. My in-laws, I'm going to start crying. My in-laws are here with me. My sister-in-law um, moved here from El Salvador when she was 15, and she is the most amazing, hardworking person I've ever met. And she's in nursing school right now to become a nurse practitioner, and I just have so much respect for her and the fact that Trump and certain people in this world believe that she shouldn't be here is mind-blowing because her her being in this country and in this on this planet makes it a better place my name is Faye Vaccarano and I'm from Dublin I'm here because my great-grandchildren are biracial, Samoan, Hispanic, and two uh, African-Americans, and I don't want them to be in harm's way, and they are. I'm out here for people with disabilities. When Trump made fun of that journalist, he made fun of everybody with disabilities. They're caregivers, they're advocates, and I'm out here for, for equality and love for everybody and love Trump's hate. I want a better future for my nephew and for me and I want to be a strong woman and I, I want to know that I can make a difference. I'm Lindsay and I'm out here with my mom and my friends. Lindsay said it very well. The feeling of hate and intolerance is just not one we can accept. But I'm also marching to end the fact-free society. Thank you both very much. Thank you. I'm a citizen. This is my home. And the new president is making me feel like, hmm, it, it may not be. Um, so a lot of negative feelings, but I hope today will be will bring a lot of positivity and uh, love and hope for us. Thank you very much and you definitely like we all belong here. Yeah. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you.
Wow. Thank you, Sarah. Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1. I'm Teresa Adams. And I'm Mario Desperado. That was Sarah Blanco at the Women's March on January 21st. If you would like to hear that story again, you can go to kpfaapprentice.org and you can hear Sarah's story and you can also see some photos of us there yeah, with some of our faces. other guests. Yay. I don't, well, <laughs> maybe me. I don't know about you. But. <laughs> well, I'm a pretty handsome guy. Yes, you are actually. There. Yes, you are. True, true, true. <laughs> yes. But thank you so much for for that, Sarah. We really appreciate it. And you had some amazing voices in that piece. And um, the song, I Am an Ocean, which to me makes me think about we're an ocean filled with all these people who are going to weather a storm Definitely. Yeah, a nice orange one. But after that passes, it's going to be great. <laughs> it's going to be smooth sailing, right? Yes. And just an update on our fund drive. We have went from 590000 to 593706 So thank you to everyone out there that has participated in our winter fund drive. Again, it is not too late to donate. So, well, that kind of rhymed. If you would like to donate via the website, it's kpfa.org or give us a call at 1-800-KPFA. Again, that is 1-800-KPFA. You will find lots of really fun things on the website, including the beautiful KPFA hoodie. Nice. <laughs> you see around this time, we would go straight to a music break with no introduction. But we can't do that this time. Why not, Teresa? We can't do that because the members of this group say that if Jimi Hendrix and Sade had a one-night stand, their love child would be them, this group. A word? Sisters in the Pit. They are a group of performers from the Bay Area who are an hip, a hip-hop artist and bass player named Coffee Brown. A percussionist and group, the group founder is a percussionist. Her name is Layla Grant and vocalist and guitarist Shelly Dottie. Who likes to party? <laughs> if you say so. Maybe we'll ask her if we meet her. Together, the sisters play some mighty sexy rock, black girl style. Sisters in the pit, hit it. Message is clear. We all belong. We all belong. We all belong. We all belong. And I'll write the songs if you wave a flag. We all belong. 
We all belong. We all belong. We all belong. Sister in the pit. Yes, they are. Welcome back to Full Circle here in Pacifica Radio, KPFA 94.1 FM. Again, that was Sister in the Pit. Their song, We All Belong. And that was recorded right here on Full Circle here in the KPFA Performance Room. Next, we want to take a turn to our documentary filmmaker, Grace Lee. Grace Lee went in search of all the women she could find named Grace Lee. As an Asian-American woman, she was interested to know about the lives of others who shared this very ordinary American name. Lo and behold, she found Grace Lee Boggs, a self-described revolutionary. Here's an excerpt from the documentary film American Revolutionary. I didn't know I was searching for someone like Grace until I met her. I don't know why people are so interested now. I'm not sure why I am who I am. I think it does have something to do with the fact that I was born female and born Chinese. I'm not sure what that is, but I have to think that through. And I thought that maybe in our discussions we would be able to explore that. Yeah. Can we go back a little bit? And how did you become a philosopher? <laughs> I'll just go back uh, 70 years. I went to college at Barnard at the age of 16. College in those days was still very much an upper-class culture. I didn't want to be different. So I ran for office. I was vice president of the Women's Athletic Association. And suddenly it all seemed barren to me. Something seemed wrong. Hello, workers! We want peace and prosperity in this country here! That's what we're fighting! Union Square was full of people because of the Depression. And even though I was not an activist growing up at all, I think the seeds were laid, you know, in, in my family. Last night I received an uh, email from my great niece, and she sent me a picture that she found on the floor of her basement of my father's restaurant on Broadway. 
restaurant opened in 1924. My parents came here as immigrants. My mother never went to school, couldn't read or write. We lived a very comfortable existence. And at the same time, I felt from the very beginning that there were changes that needed to take place. So I dropped all my classes and decided to take philosophy. There was a class in Hegel, and that really changed my whole way of thinking. Hegel was a German philosopher who came of age during the French Revolution and saw its violent aftermath. Hegel said that every idea contained its opposite, and only by struggling through those contradictions can you get closer to the truth. That's dialectical thinking. It means don't get stuck in old ideas. Keep, keep recognizing that reality is changing and that your ideas have to change. I read Hegel's writings as if I were listening to music. And I didn't understand it at the time, but it has stayed with me. And I have a proper respect for what reflection really entails. You said the revolution is a transformation of ourselves, and I really, really agree with that. And I wonder, in your life, how did you go through that in order to become the person that you are today? Uh, let me tell you how I became an activist. Uh, I was a... Uh, I got my Ph.D. in 1940. Just imagine that. <laughs> and then I went out into the world and I found that even department stores would say, we don't hire Orientals. So I got on a train and went to Chicago. Found a job there in the philosophy library for $10 a week. It wasn't very much to live on, so I found a woman who said I could stay in her basement rent-free. The only trouble was that I had to face a barricade of rats in order to get to the basement. So one day, I came across a meeting of people protesting rat-infested housing. That brought me in contact with the black community for the first time. And now I think about this now. I had never been in contact with black people before. In 1941, the Depression had ended for white workers, but not for black workers. I was aware that people were suffering but it was more a statistical thing. And here in Chicago, I was coming into contact with it as a human thing. Being in contact with the black community brought me in contact with the 1941 Washington movement to demand jobs for blacks in defense plants. Tens of thousands of blacks were ready to march on Washington. And Roosevelt couldn't afford that to happen. So he issued Executive Order 8802, banning discrimination in defense plants. I found out that if you mobilize a mass action, 
you can change the world. And I thought to myself, boy, if a movement can achieve that, that's what I want to do with my life. Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1. That clip was from the documentary film American Revolutionaries. Uh, you can hear that clip along with other pieces on our website at kpfaapprentice.org after the show. And Teresa, what an amazing story. That was amazing. Wow. And to think of living in a rat-infested building is what turns you into, it's the thing that pushes you into, A, meeting uh, other activists and African-American people at the same time. And then you become this amazing revolutionary Mm -hmm. after that. Now we want to bring the voices of some women making change in the world, specifically right here in the Bay Area. The two women I'm speaking of are Evelyn and Sophie of the Restaurant Opportunity Center, Bay Area. The mission of the Restaurant Opportunity Center is to improve wages and working conditions for the nation's restaurant workforce. KPFA Full Circle, this is Audio Desperado, Ephraim Colbert, and I have the pleasure of speaking with Evelyn and Sophia of the Restaurant Opportunity Center, Bay Area, located in Oakland, California. Hi, ladies. Hello. Hi, we're excited to be here today. All right. So I've known about uh, the Restaurant Opportunity Center for a little while now. Could you maybe expand on it for our audience? Yes, our center, it started in 2013 in the Bay Area, and it started as a result of a need for restaurant workers to organize as the local restaurant industry was increasingly becoming more popular, especially in Oakland. And so with an increase in the number of restaurants that are available, there's also an increase in the need for a workforce to work in those restaurants. And we know that the industry is plagued with countless abuses, uh, labor abuses. And so our center is really a, um, an antidote to that exploitation by providing opportunities for workers to organize and create collective power. And would you like to add to that, Sophie? Yes. So we are actually part of a national organization called the Restaurant Opportunity Center United. We have uh, local chapters across the country. So we are one of the 10 local chapters. And our national mission is to improve wages and working conditions for restaurant workers across across the U.S. What have been some of the successes that you've had since being established in 2013? We worked with a coalition uh, to pass uh, Measure FF, which increased the minimum wage in Oakland. Right now, the minimum wage is twelve eighty six an hour. We're also working with some of our same partners in that coalition to enforce the minimum wage and make sure that the most exploitable workers have access to the information and know their rights about what kind of labor protections are available for them, especially in the city of Oakland. Measure FF also added protections to service charges, um, explaining that they cannot be used and taken by management and have to be distributed to the workers who provided the service. Yeah, and actually the city of Oakland is one of the few cities in the country that has regulations for service charges. And we know that that's a rising trend in the industry in making sure that when a customer was charged for service charges and the expectation was that uh, the servers and the folks who prepared the food was going to get the service charge, that they actually had access to those (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah. I mean, that's great to hear. I wasn't aware of that, that that wasn't a thing that was happening around the nation. It's also great to hear that really went into effect in our own community of Oakland. Mm-hmm. So you also provide services with class training, correct? Yes, we do. We have we currently run a job training program called Colors Hospitality for Workers Institute or Chow. And it's a we have three levels, a service one oh one, service two one and a bartending one one class directed at low wage workers of color to help them move up the ladder in the industry and really see the industry as a career path with mobility to higher paid positions, specifically targeted towards fine dining restaurants. How would people get involved or how would they learn more? Yes, so we will be having our next classes starting at the end of March. That is our Service 101, Service 201, and Bartending 101 classes in both Oakland and San Francisco. To get more information, you can visit our Facebook page at facebook.com slash ROC Bay Area, or you can email me at sophia.m at rockunited.org. So we're currently able to train approximately 100 workers per year through our partnership with different restaurant employers. But one of the things we're very excited about is that uh, at the end of this year or the beginning of next year, we're opening a restorative justice center where we will have the opportunity to train a lot more workers. And it's also going to be an organizing center for Oakland. um, And it's going to be... centered it's going to be located in the heart of oakland and we're calling it restore oakland and it's really a model that we're developing with the ella baker center for human rights on how do you actually create a sustainable economic development that doesn't displace people of color that doesn't displace poor people and that actually creates economic opportunities that lead to self-sufficiency and autonomy we're also going to have an entire floor of the building as a space for formerly incarcerated people to be able to re-enter into the workforce and also to have space for healing and regeneration. And it's a way to try to address the recidivism of the prison system and to shift resources away from that system into our communities. That is wonderful work that you're doing. And I look forward to learning more about the center as it's, is it still in development right now or it's finishing its final developments? Yes. Yeah, so uh, Rock United and Ella Baker Center came together and created a partnership to be able to purchase this building. We've just purchased the building. Right now we're renovating it and preparing it to open this restorative justice center that I spoke about and also to open a colors restaurant. And so Rock United currently has two restaurants operating around the country, one in New York and one in Detroit. And this is going to be our third restaurant that is used primarily as a training center and an organizing space for low-wage immigrant workers of color. So that they have so that as we build their skills to be able to move up great career ladders in the industry, we also create the space for uh, them to build power and uh, create accountability measures with their employers. And it's projected to be open um, at the end of this year or beginning of next year. Excellent. And you also host events that will address these issues and bring in guest speakers, correct? 
Yes, we're currently partnering with Access. Uh, it's a reproductive justice organization uh, to bring any a, a community teaching event that will highlight the intersection of really creating dignified workplaces and jobs that allow workers to support their families and to also have workplace conditions that are conducive to dignity and that are not conducive to exploitation, which is what we see a lot of in the restaurant industry. All the work that you're doing is so positive, and it's really good to have people who are looking out for the better of people who have been taken advantage of. And I love the work you do because myself, I, do, I have a history of you know working in the fine dining uh, restaurant industry all different aspects for at least 10 plus years now and so I mean that's what it had attracted me to you from the beginning awesome Um, I'd also like to talk about uh, uh, sanctuary restaurants. Um, It is a surging movement of um, restaurant employers and workers and consumers throughout the country that is really coming together to uh, protect uh, vulnerable groups that are being attacked by the current administration. And we currently have about 120 employers who have signed up to be part of sanctuaryrestaurants.org. And the and sanctuary restaurants is really a commitment uh, from employers to uh, create a workplace environment that is uh, free of sexual harassment, discrimination, and that that really uplifts uh, the the workers in their um, that really uplifts their workers, and and that's. And we're officially launching the this campaign. So we're going to be launching the, the campaign this year, correct? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So again, that's... SanctuaryRestaurants.org. We are here with the Restaurant Opportunity Center Bay Area based out of Oakland. Thank you so much for your time, ladies. Like I've been speaking with Evelyn and Sophia. We appreciate your time. Thank, Thank you, you for you having so much. us. Wow. That was amazing. Uh, Welcome back to Full Circle on KPFA 94.1. That was Ephraim, or Audio Desperado, as he likes to be called. And he was speaking with Evelyn and Sophie of the Restaurant Opportunity Center here in the Bay Area. What a lot those women have on their plate, no pun intended. Um, But it's also nice to hear that because fine dining and restaurant the the popularity of restaurants in the Oakland area is so large that it's nice to have um, an organization that's going to look out for the people who are um, doing all the hard work within the industry so that's nice yeah definitely I agree especially because it's one of the uh, fastest growing um, portions of the economy that people can easily enter Mm -hmm. but a lot of the training in and of itself is very informal and a lot of it does depend on who you know so it is good to have um, things like rock out there that are looking for people of color and women and trying to get them involved in this pot of money that is available. Well, hopefully they'll get a lot of support. Um, I know that um, the people who work in the restaurants will probably be interested in that. It will be interesting to see how many um, restaurant owners um, come on board with supporting an organization like that. So that's nice to hear. So up next, uh, listeners... We have another wonderful music break for you from a gold and platinum selling artist and one of my favorite people, and that's Shaka Khan. And we are going to bring you her anthem, and everyone should know what that is.
I'm every woman. Circle on Pacific Radio, 94.1 FM KPFA, and that was Shaka Khan with I'm Every Woman. In our next segment, we feature a woman who spends her time speaking for others on issues such as education, housing, medical assistance for vets, and about war. Barbara Jean Lee is the U.S. Representative for California's 13th Congressional District, serving East Bay voters from 1998 to 2013, during a time when the region was designated California's 9th Congressional District. She is a member of the Democratic Party. She was the first woman to represent the 9th District, and she is also the first woman to represent the 13th District. Lee was the chair of the Congressional Black Caucus and was the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Wow, what a long list of accomplishments. <laughs> yes. What an amazing woman. She is amazing. That is a lot for her. She knew she was every woman, like Shaka Khan. Yeah? Okay, in this excerpt from a video series co-produced by our very own Ms. M, the series Education in Our Community highlights the activists, advocates, both known and unknown in the African-American community. In this excerpt, the host, Gloria Bailey Ray, interviews Congresswoman Barbara Lee, who shares a little bit about her birthplace and her early education. Let's listen. 
Yes, I was born in El Paso, Texas. Okay. And right. of course it was segregated when I grew up. Mm -hmm. uh, so I remember vividly going to the <laughs> colored only water fountain. That's right. All of the schools were segregated when I uh, mm -hmm. started elementary school and my mother and grandfather especially were very active and didn't want to participate anymore in segregation. So they mm -hmm. said even though the black school which was the best where my mother and aunts went mm -hmm. in the city, they said no, you're going to a Catholic school because it's integrated, but it was like two kids, me and my sister. But what was that education like for you, though? Well, it was really a very good uh, education in mm -hmm. terms of curriculum. I mean, I was diagramming sentences from first grade oh, wow. to eighth grade. The Monsignor Buchanan taught logic from mm -hmm. day one. So every day for eight years, I'm in logic classes. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the education was, was great, but it was a really interesting environment in that I was, my sister and I were the only two black students, and so we mm -hmm. had to, figure out how to uh, deal with being in a segregated city, but in a school where you had primarily um, white and Latino kids. But out of that, I was able to really understand people from different backgrounds. Right, right. Uh, oftentimes I felt pretty isolated. In some of the history books, of course, the only black history we ever had was history that mentioned uh, slaves in a very neg negative way, right. and everyone in the class would turn and look at me. And so you develop like this shell around right. you. You become, I became fairly shy. Mm -hmm. Even though my, actually my music teacher wrote me this letter later in life, told me I was the smartest kid in the whole school. But because I was so shy and I worried about what the other students were going to think about me because I felt they were looking at me in a very negative, demeaning way, mm -hmm. you develop a lot of, you know, resistance to that. Otherwise, you would go crazy. So mm -hmm. I ended up getting involved in a lot of student activities, drill team, tennis. Mm -hmm. uh, I was very active in sports, but also I was very studious. And I hate to say it, but I got almost all A's. So I ended up being a very um, studious bookworm, but also practicing the piano. A lot of people don't know, I received mu music scholarships. I was mm -hmm. very accomplished. But, and see, that's one of the things that I wanted to highlight, is sometimes people see our leaders and they forget that they're human too. You know, there's that other side. You know, African-Americans have such great stories. I mean, and mm -hmm. I'm a very private person, so I hate talking about my personal <laughs> life, you know, although I ended up writing my memoir, right. uh, Renegade for Peace and Justice. Mm -hmm. uh, long story about how I got to that point to write it, but it was difficult okay. because you had to share who right. you were right. as a human being and, and how your personal life informs, you know, my public life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to justify revealing a bit of myself because right. I figured, well, if you know, people really need to know why I champion, for example, issues around uh, public assistance. Well, right. you know, I'm and no cuts in terms of TANF and in terms of food stamps. Well, you know, I had to raise my kids for three or four years when I was on, in college on food stamps and uh, Medi-Cal mm -hmm. and welfare. Right. I mean, I've been there at very difficult times, but, you know, right. but I never talked about it because I was naturally ashamed of it. I didn't want anyone to mm -hmm. know it, but, uh, you know, part of the problem is me not wanting to talk about right. myself. But that's important because, you know what, Congresswoman Lee, when I read that you were a single mom, I was a single mom for a long time, raising two kids, I could relate 
to what I'm reading about you. And people need to know, you know that old saying, they say, you know what, uh, don't look at the glory when you don't know my story, right? <laughs> That's really true. And so really people true. look at you and they don't recognize that this woman standing here, guess what? You earned every stripe that you have. And I want to highlight that. And that's why it is important that those moms and those dads that have to have public assistance to not feel bad about it. But a lot of people, I don't think, knew that you were a mom, you were a single mother. And uh, just like so many of us, struggling to raise your kids, keep a roof over her head and food in her stomach. And uh, we all have a story to yeah, tell, yeah. you know, what that's like. Well, for thank sure. you for your kind words and, and really your um, respect for my, what I'm saying because, you know, it's hard to talk about it, mm -hmm, first mm -hmm. of all, Gloria, but if I can help someone along the way because, you know, I went through it and I don't want anyone right. else to go through it, then, you know, I have to open up and be a little bit more public about some of these struggles. I mean, you know, I, again, I hate talking about this, but I know it's important. Uh, and when I was writing my memoir, the editors wanted to know, why did you do all this? I said, well, it's the right thing to do. Women end up in emergency room. I mean, that's one of the highest number yes. of uh, injuries. And, you know, I had all of the public policy mm -hmm. and correct intellectual reasons for doing it, but they forced me to talk about it, write about my being a victim of domestic violence. Okay. And, and I didn't even know that was what was motivating right. me to carry right. all these right. bills that right. Pete Wilson signed probably nine or ten of them into mm -hmm. the law. Mm -hmm. But I had to do it because I saw where the gaps were. But right. I had some terrible, terrible experiences as right. a battered woman. And that's something, you know, I barely even go there and talk about. But it's something I know men and women need to deal with, mm -hmm. especially. Uh, people who are struggling day to day yes. through economic crises, through yes. all the anger that's taking place, through the violence. I mean, mm -hmm. we, you know, we have to come to grips with, with domestic violence in a big way. Right. And it's real. And so many women have lost their lives to domestic yeah. violence. Oh, yeah. And by writing those memoirs, what it did is it forced you to come, you know, full frontal with, hey, look, this is who and what has shaped me into the woman that I am today. Right, and that's the only reason I'm able to talk about it, because, <laughs> okay. because when you look at my legislative record, and when, mm -hmm. you, when you look at some of the work that I've done when I worked uh, for Ron Dellums, when I was in right. the state legislature right. and now in Congress, a lot of it has to do with you know, trying to make sure people don't have to go through mm -hmm. a lot of the struggles and challenges that right. I went through, especially young women, women of color, mm -hmm. also men and families, you know, because right. I really, the, you believe me, I've had a very hard life. Yeah, but you said, this is not going to define who I am. Yeah. And we're stronger than that. And you're absolutely right. And in fact, I want to go back, back to your college days, because you were in college and you did a number of things there. But you met someone who became a very important mentor to you. You know, you talk I, about that? I was working with the Black Panther Party with mm -hmm. uh, Huey Newton, Bobby Seale, Elaine yeah. Brown, all of the great heroes and mm -hmm. heroes mm -hmm. of the movement. I wasn't a member, but I was a community worker. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of young people now, I say, ah, that two-party system's not for me. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a revolutionary. Right. You know, was then, I'm still a revolutionary. Mm -hmm. And because I think things need to change at its core. Right. We're going to really have systemic change. And so, you know, politicians didn't uh, engage me much, nor did I want to get engaged with them. But mm -hmm. I invited, now this is as 
black student union president. So right. I invited uh, the first African-American woman elected to Congress to come speak to the BSU and to the student body. Right. And that was Congresswoman the Honorable Shirley Chisholm. Mm. And at the same time, though, I had this class in government, and I was flunking it because part of the requirement was to work in, a, in the field campaign of right. one of the presidential candidates, McGovern, Muskeed, mm -hmm. um, was it Humphrey during Humphrey. that time? Okay. And I said, flunk me. And those guys don't speak to the issues that I care <laughs> about. They're not okay. <laughs> for change and, you know, the whole right. bit. So never flunked a class, trying to get all A's, flunk me. But Shirley Chisholm, when I invited her, she talked about she was running for president. Of course, I didn't know that. The media didn't really, right. you know, lift her candidacy mm -hmm. up. And so I went up and told her afterwards, after she spoke. Now, mind you, Shirley was talking about immigrant rights. She mm. spoke fluent Spanish. She was against the Vietnam War. She talked about poverty elimination. She talked about child care, education, mm. the military budget. I mean, this woman was like right where I was, just right. politically, but not in terms of active politics, mm -hmm. but ideologically. So I went up and told her about this class I had afterwards and said, well, you know, you know, maybe I'll think about passing this class now that I heard you speak mm -hmm. and how do I get involved in your campaign and she shook her head and she said little girl and I mean you know I had my two little kids big <laughs> afro and I wasn't that little until <laughs> day she died she right, called me little right. girl so she said you've got to register to vote and get involved because if you're just outside you know raising cane and one seat change and you're not on the inside right, you know right. you can't be that influential you need to be on the inside I said I can't register to vote I'm not going to do that that's bourgeois politics that's not for me and, you know that she took me to task that night, and she said, no, no, no. So what happened is I said, okay, how do I get involved? Maybe I'll reconsider this, because I really like what you stand for. And she said, look, part of it is, you know, I'm leaving it up to my local people. I don't have a large national budget. Mm. Grassroots organization is what's taking place in my campaign. It's a grassroots movement. So, okay, so I went back, talked to my professor, Dr. Mullins, and she said, well, figure it out if you want to pass this class. So I said, figure it out. I don't know what to do. Said so that's part of it. Okay. That's part okay. of the process of passing this class. You've got to figure out how to do the practical work mm. in a campaign. So I called, uh, then it was, uh, he was, I think, president of student body at Laney, Sandre Swanson, okay. my good friend, who I then know, became I know my Sandre. chief of staff, mm -hmm. Sandy Gaines, who was the Mills College president. Okay. I was BSU, she was student body president. We got together and we ended up organizing the Shirley Chisholm campaign out of my class. I love it. I registered to vote. I got an A in the class. We took about 9% of the vote in Alameda County and wow. I went on to Miami, Florida as a Shirley Chisholm delegate. And that's how I got involved in politics. Wow. Shirley then befriended me. She mentored me. Um, when I worked for Ronnie, even though I never worked for her formally, she mm -hmm. would constantly, mm -hmm. uh, in the, on the Hill, pull me aside and tell me what was going on and the whole nine yards. And then when I came back here and ran for office, she came out here and campaigned for me, I think three times. And she was oh. so proud and so happy. And I still have notes and letters from her. And I'm determined to keep her legacy alive. Absolutely. You know, we did the Shirley Chisholm stamp. Mm, you know, I've done, right. we've got Shirley Chisholm buildings now, Shirley right. Chisholm post offices, just, you know, amazing kind of work that I've been able to put people together to keep her legacy mm -hmm. alive. Because she was an unbelievable, progressive, clear-thinking African-American woman who had a lot of 
issues around that she had to deal with around sexism and racism, mm -hmm. both mm -hmm. as important and as challenging as both are. Sometimes it was racism, sometimes it was sexism. Right. I mean, right. she had so much to deal with, not only in the country and in her district, but on Capitol Hill. I used to watch her like, oh right. my God, the only black woman. Can you imagine? Then the Black Caucus, I think, was probably 13 members that I can remember seeing wow. her and, and listening to her with all these men. Mm -hmm. going out onto the floor and into committee here, and she's the only black woman. Now we have 22 phenomenal African-American mm -hmm. women. When I was elected, there were probably only five or six of us. So for Shirley to be one of 435, wow. it was just like amazing. Yeah. So she taught me a lot. I really miss her because I'd call her up on the phone and she would give me guidance and, you know, she, she helped me mm -hmm. tremendously. So it's important because I talk a lot about the need to have mentors because when I look up or I'm reading or or I attend functions I just never get close enough up to say anything but I'm there in the things that you're bringing to the community the thing is you are standing in her shoes you're doing the work and you can't tell me that that sense of pride and what she did she pulled you out yeah. I mean think about it you can't affect change if you, you know what, if you're not part of the process. Yeah, yeah she convinced me of that because I was on the outside. I was part of the movement, mm -hmm. which uh, mm -hmm. I still am in many ways. That's what leads to change, but you right. got to force the inside. Right, right. And so, yeah, so it's important, I think, that uh, also recognizing, I mean, she wasn't too nice about it when she challenged me. It was like, little girl, you better. Now, come on. Mm -hmm. If you really believe in what you say, don't be a hypocrite. Right. Don't, you know, just come on. I mean, so it wasn't like a, an easy you conversation. Gotta, you got to walk the talk. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you she know. wasn't sugarcoating yeah. anything. Nor throughout her entire life with me. So, you shared a lot of great information, and I'm going to thank you for being on the show. Mm -hmm. Our special guest, Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Another amazing revolutionary, Barbara Lee. As we said earlier in the show, if you want to hear these stories again, go to kbfaprentice.org. And I'd have to say, we can't forget about um, Shirley Chisholm as part of that, as that documentary, I mean, that interview as well. We're coming to the close of the show, but we should like to leave you with a poem that's a tribute to Fannie Lou Harmer. This poem is called Sick and Tired of Being Sick and Tired. It's a tribute to Freedom Rider Mrs. Fannie Lou Hamer by H. Neal Taylor Jr. Oh yeah, Miss Fannie Lou. I remember you very well. Bigotry and hate threw you in jail. Almost killed you too. All because you had the gall to try to exercise your right to vote. And I note, it wasn't long ago. Thank God you were made known to the world, Miss Fannie Lou. You helped to shine the light on good old U.S. of A and exposed its dirty laundry for all to see. I never knew you, Miss Fannie Lou, but I really wanted to. Oh, how I admired you for your strong, selfless courage. In spite of the dangers surrounding your family and you, still, Miss Fannie Lou, you stood up for your rights. 
You stood up for my rights too, and I thank you, Miss Fanny Lou. Lord knows you fought long and hard, even when you were sick and tired. And when you were sick and tired of being sick and tired, yet you remained true to the struggle. And because of you, Miss Fanny Lou, Medgar, Martin, Malcolm, and so many others, you're all the reason I'm able to stand tall today. And I thank all of you, Miss Fanny Lou. Thank you, Neil Taylor from Group 37, Yabasta, for that tribute to Fannie Lou Hamer. We've come to the end of our show tonight. It was a pleasure celebrating women and their history as revolutionaries, musicians, leaders, and doers with you. Tune in next week uh, to Full Circle at 7 p.m. Our executive producer is Ms. M. Our technical director is Frank Sterling. Joy Moore is our production consultant. We have been your host, Teresa Adams. And I'm Anna Disparate Fram Colbert. Special thanks to David on the ones and twos. Londa Baita is next. Stay tuned. <laughs>